The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. We pray. Our loving Lord, I thank you that uh, this is your word. You have inspired it, you have kept it for us, and you have given it to us. I ask this morning that your spirit will be our teacher. You will challenge us, convict us, and change us, I ask in Jesus' name. I want to start this morning with a bit of a milestone moment. This week, Anna and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. I know. She is amazing. The reason I do that, it's not just for, for a bit of praise or anything like that. As I was reflecting during the week on marriage, and in particular, when a, a, a bloke is going to get married, he gets advice from people. Now, what can you think might be three common words that you can package up to a piece of advice for a husband-to-be? Three words. Now, now, as I've thought more, I love you is, is three good words. They're not the ones that came to mind. The ones that I were given were, I am sorry. Good advice for someone who's going to be a husband soon. I am sorry. Other good ones. Other good ones include yes, dear, and you were right, but that you're probably in that order. Uh, but I am sorry. 
words are easy to say, aren't they? Definitely very easy to say. And as any husband knows, if you're going to use the words, I am sorry, you better be ready to say what you're sorry about. Your wife's not going to let that pass through to the keeper, is she? I'm sorry, dear. Really? What are you sorry about? What are you sorry for? Kids do it all the time, don't they? I, I, we had a situation this, this last week. Apologies came thick and fast once the kids knew that they couldn't watch that particular movie until they had sorted out what happened earlier. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What are you sorry for? If we're honest, often the motivation be behind those words are self-centered. They're self-pitying. Sometimes if we're going to be truthful, we might say, I'm sorry. But really what we mean is, I'm sorry that I was caught. I'm sorry I didn't get away with it. I'm sorry that I'm now facing the consequences of my actions. And that is not genuine repentance, friends, is it? That is superficial repentance. Words that are self-centered. So to be genuinely sorry, to be genuinely repentant, we need to be able to see the situation in ourselves from the, the other party's point of view. It's not good enough to simply say the words of repentance. We need to have the heart of repentance. We're all guilty of superficial repentance, of the self-centered repentance, aren't we? But truth be told, we need to see God's perspective of things if we're going to have the heart of repentance. Because real repentance comes from the heart. In Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, the prophet Hosea is calling the nation of Israel to repentance. And because of his marriage, his love for his unfaithful wife, Goma, he's in one of the best positions to know God's heart and what God's actions will be towards his people if they turn and repent. See, though Yahweh has torn them, has struck them down, as we're told in, in chapter 5. If Israel were to repent and turn back to the Lord, he will heal them. He will bind them up. He will revive them. He will raise them up. He will come to them. As his call is to repentance, and God's promise is that he will honor that. He will be their healer. He will come to them. But despite Hosea's call, Israel are not there. Their hearts aren't in it. It doesn't matter if Hosea can give them the right words to say. If their hearts aren't there, it's not genuine repentance. The words of Psalm 78 could be relevant for Israel in the time of their wilderness wanderings 
in the exodus from Egypt. It could also be relevant in the time of the judges for Israel. And it's relevant now in the time of the kings. Psalm 78 verses 34 to 37 it says, when God killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Israel's no stranger to heartless repentance towards God. And God knows this. Hence his frustration coming out in verses 4 to 6 of Hosea 6. And here God shows Israel what they look like from his point of view. Here God likens Israel's love for him with morning fog and with dew. And this is in contrast to what we've just read in, in verse 3 of chapter 6, where Hosea describes God's love for Israel as, as dependable as the rising of the sun in the morning, as consistent as the rains in spring that come and nourish the land. But like fog and dew, Israel's love for God does not last. Even if a thick fog covers Brisbane early in the morning, by 10 o'clock, the airport's open and planes are landing and taking off again, aren't they? If you're going out to play an early round of golf, if there's dew all over the greens on the first hole, by the time you get to the ninth hole, it's gone, it's dry. Maybe like pictures of the, the water pen, the magic water pen colouring pictures. Maybe it's like that. Though the, the water might go over the picture and reveal the beauty, in no time at all it dries and, and just fades away. Maybe you've experienced love like this. Love that's only fleeting, that doesn't last. The sort of love more closely resembles teenage love, doesn't it? That sort of infatuation, that emotional and, and feeling-related love that is here today, gone tomorrow. Doesn't reflect the sort of love that is marriage love. See, it focuses, this sort of love focuses on the appearance of repentance. It focuses on the appearance of faithfulness. It focuses on the right words, the right practices. It might even include some extravagant depictions of faith and trust in God. It might appear genuine, but really, at the end of the day, it's just built from a foundation of sin will not last. God sees this for what it is. It's like morning dew 
in fog. When the heat of life comes, it just fades away. It dries up. Could this metaphor for love, this fog in June, could it describe your love life, your relationship with God? Love that appears faithful on a Sunday, but come Monday, you wouldn't know it was there. Are you faithful when others are watching, but when you're behind closed doors? More like fog. And that'll fade away and dry up. Friends, faithful love is loyal in the glow and in the gloom of life. In the good times and in the tough times. It is faith that is more than just weekend worship. It is the living sacrifice of spiritual worship that God, that Paul calls for in Romans chapter 12. Is that what your faith is? Or is it a fog? Knowing that Israel is not loyal or lasting in their love for him, he gives them a dressing down through his prophets. He calls his people back to covenant relationship with to faithful love for the Lord. He reminds them of their covenant responsibilities. Steadfast love, not sacrifice. Know God rather than just offering burnt offerings. Whoever Israel has tried to separate the, the covenant responsibilities from the covenant relationship. And to do that is like trying to separate the process of making a cake from the ingredients needed to make a cake. You need both together. And Christians are guilty of this today. We're guilty of separating the practice of church from the heart, the relationship church, aren't we? We separate the doing of church from the being the church. We can all fall into that trap. Maybe we just turn up and go through the motions. We know what is the right thing to say, the right thing to speak. We know the right way to look. But sometimes the heart is different. We might even keep our commitment to church at a minimum. We keep our conversations just on the surface. We keep other people and the stuff they're going on that's going on in their lives at arm's distance. Maybe we're in and out real quick. Maybe we barely get in at all. But why would we do this? One reason, I think, is because relationship is hard, isn't it? Relationship requires effort on our behalf. And it means that we're going to make ourselves vulnerable to others. But this is superficial faith, friends. If we 
we're just going to leave it at the surface. If we're going to do the doing without the being. Paul describes this as having the appearance of godliness, but lacking its power. It's like concreting your front yard in AstroTurf. It might look great all year round. There's no way for the nourishing goodness of God to sink through. Now, to have a good lawn, a real living lawn, takes maintenance. You've got to mow it. You've got to look after it and care for it. It is the same for our faith, our relationship with God. Superficial faith might look good on the outside, but it keeps God from our hearts. It keeps us from having a loving relationship with Him. And over the next 21 or so verses of Hosea 6 and 7, God tables a series of accusations to His people. And it reveals to them how God sees their hearts. And we see as we read through that God tells them they are faithless, they're deceitful, and they are wicked. It's in their DNA. And Hosea will do this through different word plays and metaphors. quick example of the, the word plays that he uses are in verses 7 to 9 of chapter 6. And here God is taking particular aim at the religious leaders of Israel. It says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. They dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers trapped with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. See, each of these verses relates in some way to the priesthood of Israel. And it will remind Hosea's audience of three things. It'll, it'll use a name, a place, and a sin. For example, Adam in, in verse 7, he's a, a person, he's a priestly figure in the Garden of Eden. But Adam is also a town, a place in Israel that we read about in, in Joshua 3, verse 16, before they come into the promised land. The sin that is highlighted, highlighted there in, chap, in verse 7 is the sin of faithlessness, of walking away from God and rejecting Him. Gilead is an area in Israel that's associated with Jacob who met with God at Bethel, which is in Gilead. There he, he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He had a face-to-face -face meeting with the Lord. In fact, the word trapped, that you see there in the phrase trapped in blood, is a word play on the name Jacob. Jacob was known for deceiving his father Isaac. A person, a place, a sin. Shechem, he was a person. Read about him in Genesis 34. And there we find the story of Levi and his brother Simeon going and murdering Shechem and the inhabitants of the city that bore his name. 
Levi is, of course, the priestly tribe. The prophet is using beautiful language to to show in different ways the true heart of Israel. In chapter 7, verses 3 to 7, he then turns to a baking metaphor to turn up the heat in the halls of power. And here again, we see that faithfulness, deceitfulness and wickedness has corrupted Israel's political leaders. As I read through these verses, just allow the baking imagery to paint the picture for you. By their evil, they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers, for with hearts like an oven they approached their intrigue. All night their anger smoulders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of of them falls upon them. You can see that baking, that oven imagery, showing us what the heart of Israel's political leaders is like. See, the corruption of the political elite is a heart issue. It's not so much a practical issue. Changing kings doesn't fix the problem. They need a change of hearts, and for that they need to cry out to their true king, to Yahweh. But instead, they search for a solution in all the wrong places. They mix their allegiances. Spiritually, they mix with the culture around them. They dilute their character as God's people by doing this. And once again, neither the butcher nor the candlestick maker get a run as Hosea continues the baking metaphor. Verses 8 to 10 of chapter 7, he describes Israel as half-baked, as it's like they're a loaf of bread. When it starts to turn and go, go mouldy, it gets those little grey spots of mould on it. Their strength is gone. That which was their strength, their relationship with Yahweh, has turned, has been taken away because of their relationship with the culture around them, their estrangement from God in place for a pagan relationship. The more they court their culture, the more the people of Israel show themselves to be faithless, deceitful, and wicked. It's not limited just to the spiritual leaders or the political leaders. The whole of Israel is guilty. And disguised as a quest to be relevant for our society today. Churches of our day will adjust our character, won't we? Will people in churches today will adjust the gospel 
in their desire to be relevant to society. They do this based on society's perspective on what the gospels should, what the gospel should be, rather on God's truth of what the gospel is. And that which is our strength, our relationship with Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, is devoured by the world around us. Devoured by those who are actually estranged by God, which leaves the church today half-baked. To where arrogant, corrupted hearts lead people who say they follow Jesus to pass off as true that which is actually faithless, deceitful, and wicked. And they do this just by putting God's name on things. They might use right-sounding words, but it comes from a wrong heart. And therefore, repentance in this context will be self-centered and heartless. And this is what verses... 13 to 16 of chapter 7, expose. Like the Lord is saying through Hosea to the people, woe to them, for they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine. They gash themselves. They rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They're like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land. It's like looking for cutlery in the pantry. You won't find it there. Actually, the fact that you're looking in the pantry shows that you're not after cutlery at all, are you? You're looking for something else. The truth is, seeking strength and wisdom in the things of the world shows that someone who professes Christ is not actually seeking a relationship with God at all. When we seek strength and wisdom there, we stray from God. We rebel against him. We speak lies and devise evil against he who faithfully loves us. Does this hit home for you? any of these metaphors, has there been something about them that might have hit your heart? Maybe the thought of fleeting faith might hit home. Maybe that fog, that dew, would describe you. Your practice on, on Sunday doesn't reflect your life Monday through Friday. Maybe you have a fleeting faith. Or maybe it's superficial. 
like AstroTurf, you're happy to have a faith that appears to look good on the surface. But that's as deep as it goes. You're not willing for it to really touch the heart of your life. Or maybe you feel like you might have half-baked faith. And like mouldy bread, what your faith is built on has left you indistinguishable and actually unpalatable to the world around you. You might say that you're following Jesus, but your strength has been sapped. You're really just looking for him in all the wrong places. Friends, if any of these things might describe your life, your faith today, can I just say that this is not fundamentally an issue of practice. It's fundamentally an issue of the heart. As Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, of the heart, his mouth speaks. Friends, if Christians are going to persist with superficial repentance to God. They are going to be left estranged from God. Weak, powerless, will remain faithless, deceitful, wicked. Addressing our issues just on a, a surface level of just our practices. It's going to do nothing to change our hearts. Repentance that is just lip service is not real repentance at all. It's not good enough to say the right words. Real repentance comes from the heart. If you need to do something about this this morning, can I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to show you what your heart looks like from God's perspective. And allow the Holy Spirit to transform a faithless, deceitful and wicked heart into a heart that is faithful and loving towards its Lord. Maybe today none of these really ring a bell for you. Maybe you come and you just feel wounded. Maybe you need healing. Let's look again at Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Maybe as we read through it the first time, the words of verse 2 stood out a bit to you. Come, let us return to the Lord, says Hosea, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up, verse 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. 
Now, Hosea probably had something else in mind when he, he wrote verse 2. But with the advantage of time, we can see that these words are pointing to Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. See, this is although Adam's humanity is a faithless humanity. Humanity in Jesus is faithful. See, Jesus is our representative. If we are in him, he goes to the cross and his wounding, wounding. He went to the cross to be torn, to be struck down by the Lord so that we might experience healing. But on the third day, friends, Jesus walked out of the tomb. He was raised back to life. So that though his death and resurrection is true of him, if we are in Christ, they are our death and resurrection also. On the third day, we, like Jesus, will be raised up. That we have a future hope of resurrection that as Jesus passed through death to new life, so will we pass through death to new life. Everyone who is in Christ Jesus, that is their story, friends. That answer will not be found in the society around us. That should bring us to a place of faith. And if you are wounded, I plead with you, return to Jesus today. If you are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit about your faithless or non-existent relationship with God today. Return to the Lord Jesus. Let him show you what your heart is really like and ask for his forgiveness. We can be assured that he will come to us. He will bind us. He will heal us. He will forgive us. as we come to a time of communion. I would encourage you to prepare your hearts before the Lord. I'm going to pray a brief prayer now that you can feel free to make it your own. You don't have to use my words. You can just take this time to share from your heart while I do that, why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes, bring your hearts before the Lord.
Lord, we confess that we are all like Adam. Lord, that all humanity have Adam as their representative. His, his DNA is our DNA. Our hearts are at core faithless, wicked, and evil. Lord, we, we confess, Lord, that we need to see ourselves and our hearts from your perspective. Lord, that will show us the true condition of things. Lord, we, we confess this morning that at times we just operate on that superficial level. Lord, that we're happy to keep things on the surface looking good. Resisting to have your truth and your love get down deep inside. Lord, we confess that sometimes the majority of our life really is faithless. That what happens on Sunday might look very different to what happens Monday through Friday. Lord, we pray that you would come to us, that you would heal us, bind us up. Lord, as people set their hearts before you this morning, Lord, we pray that you would deal graciously with us, that you would forgive us of our sins. Lord, that you would cleanse us Make us new so that we can be those who are in Christ and so what is true for him might be true for us also. That we might be a people full of faith who will pass through death to new life. That we might live before you as your people. Our loving Lord, we thank you that you have Come to us. You have made us a way. You have shown us what you are truly like. We give you thanks and praise for this. Lord, if anyone has been searching for you in all the wrong places this morning, Lord, I ask that you would turn them and show them where you can be found, that you would come to them and raise them up for the sake of your, your son. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.